0: This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, episode 247, post-COVID money pivots you can make right now. Your future. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode. Now, the title of this episode says post COVID money pivots you can make right now. And while it's true that we are not totally out of the COVID fiasco, I'm hopeful and prayerful that we have seen the worst, at least, of this COVID disaster. And I'd like to see if there's a way we can actually build on and pivot from the financial life you had to a better and bigger financial life to come. And so that's what we'd like to focus on in our post-COVID money pivots. Now, when I spoke with Amanda Neely last on our podcast, specifically about this topic, it was before the pandemic had even started. And I would say it was eerily prescient of her uh, with many of the, not predictions, but the assumptions we made in that episode sort of spelled out what was to come. This was aired at first on November 1st, 2019. So in November of 2019, just on the eve of the global pandemic of 2020 and beyond, Amanda and I sat down and had a long, wide ranging conversation about various potential financial calamities. Did we predict a pandemic? No, we didn't. But we did talk about money printing spiraling out of control. We talked about inflation. We talked about market turbulence. We talked about any number of nightmare scenarios. So if you haven't already, go back and listen to that episode. It's episode 113, Nightmare Scenarios with Amanda Neely. Now, today's episode is gonna be sort of a, not a revisiting of that, but sort of an update on where things have gone since we last spoke. We're gonna go through exactly how clients that Amanda works with were able to take advantage of that stock market turbulence in March of 2020 and received an 80% return by using a bank on yourself policy, alongside making smart investment choices. We get into the exact steps and strategy that that particular client was able to take in order to do so. In addition, we go into three different scenarios for our future, right? So we don't just look in the rear view mirror over the last two or three years, we're gonna look into the windshield and look out into our financial future. Are we gonna go up and to the right with our stock market returns? Are we going to be volatile and continuously crashing along the way? Or are we going to revert to the mean, which might look like a pretty steep decline from where we're sitting today with a market leveling out over time? We also spend a great deal of time in our conversation today talking about how life insurance companies themselves were able to make it through what would otherwise be a nightmare scenario for them. I mean, If you think about it, we went through a global financial and health crisis these last two or three years. And if there was ever a time when life insurance companies should have dropped the ball and started going bankrupt, it would have been in these last two years as not only mortality went up, but also financial calamity ensued as well. So really, if there was ever going to be a moment or day of reckoning for the life insurance industry, it would have been 2020, 21 and 22. But as of now, all the companies that we would recommend, all of them, it's business as usual. And this just shows me the incredible strength of the insurance companies that we work with for our clients. So guys, that's just a taste of what Amanda is able to bring to the table. And I'm so glad she joined me for today's episode. Amanda, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me again, Mark. Uh, we talk all the time, but it's a, a special opportunity to be able to share on your podcast.
0: I'm glad you're back on and you're right. We do get to have fun. The party keeps going even in between our podcasts, but It's been too long because I think at least one episode that you were on that might be the most recent one was 113, episode 113. Is that right? Have you been on the show since then?
1: We might have done a live show together that was published since then, but that, that would have been a big group of us. I think me solo, it's been since 113.
0: Well, it's been a long time. We do get to chat a lot, but our wonderful revolutionary audience has not heard the latest. So how have things been for you since 2019? Any changes like any, I don't know, pandemics, anything <laughs> gone on in your life?
1: Yeah, I've moved states, uh, was in Chicago then, and I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio now. Business is good. We've added staff to our business at Grandma's Wealth Wisdom and helping people at, in to adopt some of the awesome, not your average financial strategies that we know you promote as well. And it's just been a lot of fun.
0: When we spoke last time, the reason why I wanted to have you come back on this show was our episode 113 was almost creepy prescient. (laughs) We talked a lot about some of the nightmare scenarios that could befall the world in 2019. We didn't say pandemic. We didn't bring that up. We talked about hyperinflation. We talked about devaluing of the dollar. We talked about a market crash and downturn. We even brought up zombies. And, and we talked specifically about how do the not your average financial strategies, uh, the bank on yourself concept in particular, what happens to your bank on yourself designed policy when zombies attack or any of the other number of wild scenarios? We thought we were just spitballing, fear mongering, whatever. But then, now catch us up. Have we had any any of those come to, to pass since we last spoke?
1: Yeah. We actually did have a lot of stock market volatility just a few short months after that episode aired. So that came out November 1st, 2019. The day after Halloween is very timely. The world's of course changed a lot since then, but very particularly March of 2020 was some of the most volatile times in the stock market, especially in recent history, but for a long time. And I know this was true for you, Mark, too, because we were talking a lot then. What's going on? How are, we had just moved? We were chatting and it was super amazing to make some videos, to send some emails, to make some phone calls, to reach out to our clients with the only agenda of checking on how they're doing how they're handling all the shelter in in place, stay at home orders, and reassure them that their policy values were exactly as they were two weeks ago. And we're continuing along the same trajectory that they were two weeks ago. That was when I I haven't been in this career for that long. It's been four years now. And at that point I was only two years in. And I know I'm going to look back at that time as some of the, the best times, the most rewarding experiences in my career.
0: It warms my heart to hear you say that, Amanda, because I've met the investment advisors, worked for a CPA and a number of other people who have regularly said, and even almost in a joking way that they just hide during these market downturns. If they're an investment advisor, helping with stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, index funds, all that, they literally just, they hide they mm-hmm. hate their life. They hate their job. They're staying up late. They're working late into the hours. They're working to answer everyone's calls and concerns. And I get that. That's, I give them merit for that. So, right. I- and
1: I thank you for sharing that. Cause I was actually literally saying recently to Brandon, my husband and co-partner, I wonder how the investment firms, what they did during that same week, what were they doing? And now I know the answer. They were probably hiding.
0: Hiding. And the good ones were, you know, again, staying up late. Ordering pizza at the office, staying there until nine o'clock at night to calm people down. But did you have people freaking out? Were they telling you to sell, 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 and and calling you with their hair on fire at one a.m. saying to get out of the market? No, Amanda, you were you were sleeping soundly. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I'll jump in and share. I, this is a perfect reminder of an awesome client story. Around that time, actually in December 2019, one of my clients had sold a bunch of stocks that. She had owned since the 1980s. They hadn't been performing very well recently. So she sold them and she put that money into her bank on yourself policy. She had the space to put it in. And guess what she did in March of 2020? She took a policy loan. She went and bought a bunch of stocks. She, you know, spread them out, not all at once. She was really smart about it. She knows what she's doing there. She decided she's going to hold them for at least a year and a day, get into long-term capital gains taxes. You know, she was very methodical about it. And a year and a half later, we did a, a debrief, a, a post mortem. How did this all go? She had sold the amount that she took out of as a policy loan. She'd sold all of those, that same amount, paid back her policy loan. It was zeroed out, but she sold a whole bunch of stocks that now she was going to hold on to and let them continue to grow for her. She didn't have enough wiggle room in her policy to add those to. And what we found is she had an over 80% rate of return in that year and a half.
0: Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And factoring in policy loan interest and everything.
0: Just for our listeners, Amanda, can you describe how that works and why you can even take advantage of market volatility using a bank on yourself policy?
1: Yeah. So she had her cash value sitting there because it's true a true bank on yourself policy with a non-direct recognition life insurance company. She could take a policy loan from the general fund, but her cash still grows as if she didn't touch it. And she went and Strategically thought about what stock she wanted to buy. She's been following the market. She's very financially savvy that way. And so she chose when to buy, what to buy, very strategic. Then she held on to them for at least a year and a day, then started watching for when's a good time to sell. And as she sold them, she paid back her policy loan. It was her own schedule. She didn't have to make any payments in the meantime. And when all was said and done, that's when we did the debrief during our six month reviews that we do with our clients. And she was super thrilled with the experience that she had had and how much fun that was for her. That was one of her first policy loans she's done. And what an amazing experience to see that happen.
0: Wow. Yeah. Not every investment is going to give you 80% returns, of course. And it would have been less than 80% had she only paid cash for that investment. Right. Right. Why? Because the policy was continuing to compound even on that capital that she had borrowed out to invest in such and such funds and stocks and whatever. Now we have to admit that she could have chosen poorly and the market might've continued to drop, but even still, at least her policy was giving her some positive yield, the arbitrage in the policy. Uh, So she kind of had a stop loss in her portfolio, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. That's just a really cool nature. And the other thing you brought up, Amanda, quickly, I'll mention this briefly You mentioned a year and a day. Now, why is it important to hold an investment for one year and one day or longer?
1: Yeah, I'm not a tax professional, so go check this with yours. But from what I understand, if you have gains that are a year or less, you have to pay short-term capital gains type taxes, which are very similar to income taxes in most cases. Whereas if you get into the year and a day, you're now into long-term capital gains, and those could be 0%, depending on your income, or maybe 15%. They're a lot less, typically, than most of the ordinary income taxes that you get on short-term.
0: And because it was a bank-on-yourself-designed policy with a loan, there was no required repayment plan. She wasn't under the gun to pay off her policy loan. There was no monthly payment required, so she could invest comfortably sit back and wait that one full year, and then start to take profits from the investments. What a cool strategy. Good on you to her and good on you to you, Amanda, for helping her with all that. Let's turn the page. What we talked about in 2019 with volatility in the markets, but the overall market going up and to the right, meaning it gets better over time, but yet there's volatility. Anything you'd reprise there from our discussion three years ago?
1: I was introduced to this good book. I don't adhere to everything in it, but around March 2020, that someone introduced me to it. It's called Sacred Economics. And he gives three different scenarios for our possible future. That really, when you boil it all down, there's only three ways our future could go. One is that up and to the right, with you know, some small corrections over time, kind of what we think about from 1980 through now. It's if you look just at that part of the stock market, it's done okay. Right. And there's more value in the world. We could see that the stock market should have more value. We we've had all these technological increases, new products, different ways of uh, doing business. So that there could be some value some legitimacy to that. The second one that a lot of folks that I've been talking to have started to believe is that partly because we live in a finite world, we can't keep going up into the right. We're going to eventually run out of resources. Something's going to happen and we're, we're just going to crash and burn and hopefully maybe be able to rebuild. But this is kind of the, that zombie apocalypse type thing where maybe the, all, all the electricity and internet is gone and we have to go back to subsistence farming and then start to rebuild our society that if we keep pursuing up into the right, that's not a pursuit that ends well basically, is that idea. And then one thing I've heard you talk about on Not Your Average Financial Podcast is this idea of averages, that they're not very helpful most of the time, but there is different types of averages, the median, yep. the mean. And there's Taking this- us back
0: to ninth grade math class. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that, yeah.
1: Okay. And it, there's one theory that we could actually just return to the mean, right? Yep. That maybe we have this pretty steep decline, but then it levels out. And it might look like we're about to do crash and burn, but something, some force steps in to help save us from totally crashing and burning, right? They get the power grid back up or, you know, something like that. But if we look at what that mean really is, you got to ask, is that going to be the mean of the stock market? Is that going to be the mean of our gross domestic product? Is that going to be the, what the mean of what are we going to return to? And then what, if we can agree on that, what is the mean? Are we looking over the last- 2000 years over the last hundred years, like that it's going to be different those ways. And I haven't found a straight answer to that, but I also know I better be preparing for all three different futures because none of us have a crystal ball. We don't really know what's going to happen.
0: So true. There's this interesting game that they play on the prices, Amanda. I I go into it in a recent episode, so I don't want to go over it all again now, but uh, there's a a game called the Plinko game. If you've ever played Plinko. And if you have one chip that falls down the Plinko chip board, there's really no telling how it's going to turn out. But if you get a 10,000 chips falling down that board with absolute precision, you can know exactly the bell-shaped curve that those chips will end up creating for themselves. It's unbelievably remarkable. It's magical almost that you can predict the outcome exactly, precisely, as long as you have a large enough sample size we only have one future. We only have one Plinko chip. It's only going to be market volatility or regression to the mean or whatever, but we don't know it yet. That's the trouble. Tell me how does bank on yourself type policies, how does it impact some of the things you just described as far as those three scenarios?
1: From what I've been hearing over the last two years from some of the life insurance companies we work with to set up the bank on yourself designed policies, I learned that they've been doing pandemic stress tests for years to make sure if there's a pandemic, they're going to be able to get through it. And I imagine they're running computer simulations for dropping a million Plinko chips and making sure no matter which ones they land in, wherever those Plinko chips land, they're going to be there. They're going to be standing and probably they're going to be profitable giving dividends because that's what they've done for over a hundred years. That's what they know how to do. And this came about because we were asking questions like, we hear there's a lot of people that are unfortunately going to the other side of the rainbow. What What's happening with claims? How are the companies doing? And we've asked that because there's been a few of our clients that have asked the same thing and we want to know, what do we tell them? It was super encouraging to hear like, yeah, we're, we're doing great we're keeping the same dividend rates this year that we had last year in 2021. The dividends are the same as 2020. Still getting that growth, those profits, as if the pandemic had never happened. Mm -hmm. And that actually really reaffirms the choices that I've been making over the last eight years to send in a premium every single month and that I've trusted in the right folks, the right companies, the right places to make sure that no matter which future we're coming toward, they've done the stress test. They know that they're going to be able to stand up to it.
0: Amanda, in our last episode, you said you referred to yourself as a, like a lifelong worrier
1: and (laughs) you kind of said
0: you came from a long line of worriers in your family, but I'm hearing you say things like trust now and things like hope. What are you learning about companies that may or may not uh, have the same financial strength as what we typically recommend to our clients?
1: You probably don't remember a lot of these from eight plus years ago when I first heard about Bank on Yourself. And I was a little skeptical at first, had to do the reading, ask the questions. Even after we started our policy, I had a little bit of buyer's remorse. What did we do here again? How do these policy loans work? And it's been a lot of researching, learning, and but a lot of it was still hypothetical. How do policy loans work? Well, let's pretend we're buying a $10,000 car and then repaying. And, and to actually see it in real life, to not just talk about how these life insurance companies were still profitable during the Great Depression, the hyperinflation of the 1970s, the Great recession in 2008, they've been profitable along the way, but to see it in real life just gives Mm -hmm. it a totally different volatility. And then you taught me this really powerful question, compared to what? Compared to what? So then to look at, Well, how have companies offer group life insurance where there's no health qualification to get that insurance? They've seen their death claims go up a lot more. Group life insurance is what you get through your employer. So everyone that works for that employer, maybe they've had to work there for at least three months or they have to be a full-time employee, not a part. There's often stipulations like that. And that everybody gets this group life insurance and it's usually like one or two times salary. It's, it's a good amount, but not super big. And all you have to do is work there. You don't have to do any kind of health exam or anything like that. Now with Bank on Yourself, with the life insurance companies we work with, there are some times when you get out of doing a health exam, most of the time we need to, and the people that get out of it are able to not do one. They're able to show their good health in other ways. So these group life insurance, because there is no health qualification, they saw a lot of death claims that they had to pay out and they've paid them out. From what I understand, they're still solid, but they realize they have to make some changes to whatever they do is at least what I understand. Would you add anything to that?
0: If your only life insurance that you can get approved for is the one you automatically get, you are more likely to have health issues, right? Amongst the general population, than a group, a subset of the American population that had to do a answer a few medical questions, maybe do a health exam, you're just going to be in a different group of people. And quite honestly, the comorbidities that associate with COVID deaths are going to cluster mostly in types of life insurance policies and products that are made available for the whole population. As long as you can have a job, you get your life insurance. That's not a, um, a health filter. And so more insurance companies experience an increase in death claims amongst the group employer-based life insurance than did, say, the companies that we recommend, which is mutually owned, go out and get it on your own, individually purchased life insurance, if you will. Is that a fair summary of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, and I heard from you something about how still some of the other companies that are not Bank on Yourself approved, how did they fare, not group life insurance companies? Did we see any turbulence or lack of profitability there? Anything like that?
0: Well, that's a great question. In fact, no, in many ways, it was a just a rocket along business as usual year, even for the big mutual companies. Now there were, as you mentioned, some of the group life insurance companies experienced some turbulence, but they still are in business. There were no bankruptcies that I'm familiar with in the pandemic. A lot of people have been asking about it. And in fact, the continued good health of the insurance industry, I think says a lot about how absolutely rock solid the entire industry is for maintaining a health crisis. Now we had a financial crisis in 2008 and over 430 banks went bankrupt in the financial crisis. We just had a health crisis and a financial crisis in 2020 and 21. Look at all the money that was printed just to keep us afloat. In fact I've been told that more property and casualty insurance companies have had difficulty because people are claiming that they can't go to work so there's workers continuation insurance there's other kinds of insurance not life insurance that has experienced more difficulty than the life insurance companies have it just it boggles my mind the preparedness of the entire industry now you're right Amanda there are a few companies outside of our kind of bank on yourself approved list of companies that are Well-known mutual companies, let's say, I won't name any names, as the pandemic was getting underway, really showed their colors. It's sort of like Warren Buffett's old quote, when the tide goes out, you can see who was swimming naked. Well, when we started to hear from some of these other companies, again, not ones that we'd recommend for clients, it was statements like, well, you know, we're not going to take any new applications right now. Well, we're not going to let anybody who's over 55 get a policy right now and I even heard other pretty dramatic changes. Like one company cut off all their connections as a mutual company and became purchased by a private Canadian company. So they demutualized is the fancy word there. What does all this mean? It just means that you want to really do your due diligence and bank on yourself policies are all from companies that we've done the due diligence on, but you must do your due diligence or let us do it for you to pick the right companies before you commit to a lifelong relationship with them. It is a lifelong commitment to get one of these policies. And if you get the wrong company, just because it looked really nice and some insurance agent showed you a nice looking illustration or, or spreadsheet, you may be surprised to find out that dividends were getting cut dramatically. I saw one company cut their dividends in half over the last three years and then ended up demutualizing. So I don't see any of the companies that we work with, Amanda, have anything like that. They're all A-plus ratings with third parties, top-notch, top-shelf companies, and we commit to that. We review those numbers on an annual basis with the other bank-on-yourself professionals. Okay, so I'm off my soapbox. (laughs) I just said a ton there. What would you say in response, and where would we go from here?
1: Yeah, so I think we've done a great job of talking about, okay, we put out these nightmare scenarios out in 2019. It's been over two years since then. How we withstood in a nightmare really is what these last two years have been. Now, as we look toward the future, whatever life is going to bring our way, none of us have a crystal ball. But I think it's helpful to know there are some pretty powerful forces out there that are going to shape our future and knowing who those forces are, what kind of things they do is Knowledge is power in that regard. But then the most I want to go into is how do we use our power to shape our own future? So we're going to get there. I think when I think of three powerful forces that shape our future, I think of governments right over the pandemic, governments have printed money. They've sent out economic stimuluses. They've had a big role. Wealthy individuals and families uh, have also, you know, done different things And large institutions, right, whether we had toilet paper on the shelves or not, we're very much in the hands of large institutions like businesses but also nonprofits have really stepped up in a different way to feed people who were going hungry. And I also think this is really um, revealing if we also look at not just the pandemic, but other types of things that are happening within our world as well. But anything you want to jump in with before we talk about some of the other kind of worrisome parts of our future?
0: (laughs) Well, we were just having a great conversation about hope, Amanda. Now we got to get into worry again. No, I get it. That's partly what we are here to do. We want to stress test our future lay it against the strategies that we're talking to clients about. No, I agree. I think the the government obviously has a big part to play in the last two, three years. Uh, Obviously, wealthy individuals have become more and more prevalent. There's been a lot of money uh, printing. Our money supply has gone up and and that's impacted things dramatically, both for the government and the wealthy individuals you mentioned. And yeah, businesses and big and small have really stepped it up and nonprofits as well. Great summary. And we've had a little thing going on across the ocean too.
1: Yeah, a lot of folks seem to be more and more concerned about war. And rightly so, with what's happening in Ukraine and with Russia, and could potentially turn into World War III, is the fear out there that we worry about. And we do see these three powerful forces already at work. We're recording this a couple months before it's going to air, so we don't know exactly what's going to be happening when the this hits your ears. But from what we've learned so far, there's been the government sanctions against Russia, and that's been a very powerful way they've been trying to stem the tides of war and hopefully shut things down. But with, you know, mixed results, we see a wealthy individual named Elon Musk, just providing internet for all of Ukraine as his way to help with the war effort or the anti-war effort. Businesses have stopped working in Russia, right? They've pulled out a good majority of them. They won't do business there. And of course, nonprofits are sending aid to Ukraine and trying to be forces for good there. There's probably way more happening than we hear about on the news. But as we think about, like, some of these things that are going to shape our future in serious ways, whether it's a pandemic or war or the supply chain issues. We have to think about who is forcing those things to happen, who's going to be the force that stops those things from happening or turning them into positive or turning them into more negatives. There's some pretty powerful forces in our world that are at work and to know what they're doing and how they work, I think is something we just need to be aware of.
0: Amanda, you're right either we are going to be a tennis ball floating down life's gutter and the world events are just going to shape us, or we can move upstream and we can create our own future. Okay. First of all, I want to hear more about this upcoming episode you have on your podcast and tell me more about how we can essentially move toward our own financial future.
1: Yeah. I have heard from a lot of folks that they're stressed about money, about life, about lots of things, because there is so much uncertainty and uncertainty causes a lot of stress. But there's also some stats that uh, back it up. I found this stress in America survey that they do every year. And this year when they did it, they found the highest recorded number of Americans are stressed about money in the economy in more than six years. 65% 65% that's over half of Americans are stressed about money and the economy that we have an episode that we created kind of in response to this. Uh, it's episode 106 on the wealth wisdom financial podcast. It came out May 6th. We talk about going from financial stress to financial sanity. And we we talk a lot about the things that are within our power. We get to choose to do them. We don't have to rely on anyone else to do them that my husband and I have been practicing in our family for over a decade. They've helped us through this time, not feel as stressed and to be okay with whatever the future is going to throw our way. Maybe if the zombies come, we still don't have that storehouse <laughs> of things. I'm still a minimalist. Like I talked about in episode 113, but a, a lot of these other things were ready for them. I have to just encourage folks that we're part of the future we're creating. And the more of us there are the more we get to create a future that's sane, that's not so average, that has a lot of wisdom behind it. And if you want to be part of that revolution, part of that community, keep listening to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. I still listen to every single episode. And also check out the Wealth Wisdom Financial Podcast. We're sharing a little bit more like story, a little bit more like moving from stress to sanity, because that's really how we're going to make a future that we want to live in and that we want our kids and our grandkids to live into.
0: Your podcast is awesome. Again, your podcast is titled Wealth Wisdom Financial Podcast, uh, which I love the name and I agree. Uh, We have to be weird and we have to be wise. Uh, If you have one without the other, sometimes you'll get stuck. So you can't be average and you got to be wise. I think we make a great pair. So Amanda, thanks for for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, It's been such a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Amanda, for coming on the show today. And guys, as you can tell, Amanda has a lot to give and some incredible wisdom. In fact, she and her husband and business partner, Brandon Neely, have started a membership site all their own, which is called Wealth Wisdom. And if you'd like to be a part of the Wealth Wisdom financial community where you can connect and grow with other self-employed business owners and grow a business that you love and that loves you back, you can go check out their website. It's a great community, a great learning space where you can ask questions as you build your business. So if you're a business owner or would like to be one, go to wealthwisdom.mn.co. That's wealthwisdom.mn.co and you can take a look around at their membership site and consider joining. They're an incredible couple, an incredible, amazing community that they're building. And of course, as you know, they're just full of wisdom themselves. So thank you, Amanda, uh, for coming on the show today. And guys, thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast helping you think and live different with your money, your economy, and your future. This has
1: been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting.
0: The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.